You're listening to the Foremost Media Marketing Chat Podcast with John Ballard and Evan Facinger. Hey everyone, welcome to the Foremost Media Marketing Chat Podcast. Uh, we're really excited today. We've got a great episode. It's one that you know has really been getting a lot of attention lately, and it's about ADA compliance. So, of course, John Ballard is here with me. Hey everyone, nice to see you. I hear you. And we have a very special guest, uh, an attorney at Nolan Mowat, and his name is Mike Davis. And we are finally going to get to ask somebody all of the questions that we have, that I'm sure you have, all about ADA compliance, so we can start to get some actual answers put together. Um, one thing quick, too, before I let uh, Mike kind of introduce himself, is I do want to say, you know, yes, Mike is an attorney, but we don't want any of this to be any sort of legal advice or, you know, or be misconstrued at it. This is definitely a conversation that we're having. Uh, we just want to bring him in with, with his expertise. So without any further ado, Mike, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come speak with you today. And uh, just to kind of add some, some back history here, we've got some experience with this with Mike's firm over the last, I guess, probably two years now, this has started to become an issue. And it started, you know, ADA compliance for websites. When I first heard it, it sounded ridiculous to me. Why would, you know, visually impaired even care about a website, but you know, it, it's coming. Um, it started with government agencies and, you know, like uh, stuff like that in Wisconsin. So, you know, I think our first case or foray into this was a school district that we worked with. And, um, you know, so it's, it's now we're dealing with it, especially in California with clients um, where the laws seem to be a little loose and we'll dive into that, but it's, it's definitely an issue that I think our you know listeners should be aware of. And if you're not paying attention to it, you're going to be forced to sooner or later in my opinion. So really timely topic. I really appreciate Mike joining us today. So um, I think we'll, we'll turn it over to Mike. Um, Mike, just tell us a little bit about your firm uh, website address and how can people can get a hold of you first, if we don't mind. And we'll probably cover that again at the end too. Just so I think, uh, you know, if, if you're having issues with this, if you have questions, Mike is a guy that we recommend talking to. So our firm is a, a smaller firm located in Janesville, Wisconsin, uh, where you are a, you know, multi-practice firm. So we, we don't specialize in any one thing. We have attorneys that, that handle anything from family law to, uh, municipal law to real estate law. Uh, I, my area of uh, expertise is transactional in nature. So I do uh, real estate, estate planning, and um, I do some, uh, I do quite a bit of corporate work. So that's kind of why this came to me um, because this is, this is in the corporate world here. So um, our, our website is nowland.com, N-O-W-L-A-N.com. And if you need to get a hold of me, our phone number is 608-755-8100. Perfect. So, Mike, let's dive right into it. I mean, um, just generally, what is ADA compliance when in regards to websites? I mean, how would you define that? Sure. So, kind of, let's take a step back here and talk about the ADA first. Uh, the, the ADA stands for the American... Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 it was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush in 1990 with the goal of making uh, what, the, what the law calls pl uh, places of public accommodation more accessible for uh, Americans with disabilities, right? So um, you had stores, restaurants, things that were difficult to get to, whether they, it was a lack of ramps or a lack of elevators or 
you know, any other sort of accessibility issue. And so um, this law was aimed at making the lives of people with disabilities uh, more enriched by, by making sure they had, they had equal rights to access. Um, so with this, with this law being signed in, into act in 1990, you can imagine that websites weren't really addressed, right? I mean, sure, the internet, I think, was a thing back then, but not even close to what it was now. Um, how many people had even heard of it in 1990? Um, so with that kind of background, I want to say that ADA compliance in regards to websites is a little bit unsettled. Courts are still kind of hatching things out. As you said uh, in your introduction, this really started a couple of years ago. Um, it started in New York uh, with a case that we ref will refer to as Andrews v. Blick Art Materials, LLC. Um, and, and there you had a, a plaintiff who was blind that tried to access Blick's website to buy some, some art supplies. Uh, and and couldn't because the website didn't was not compatible with their uh, their their web reader, and um, therefore they sued because they felt look this website is an offshoot of their their store. Uh, their store is providing a service. It's a place of public accommodation, and I can't access the services provided by the website because it's it's not compatible with my web reader. And uh, I feel like my, my equal right to access the, the place of public accommodation is therefore um, being prevented. Um, so that's kind of where things stemmed. Um, they've kind of mostly moved down that path. A lot of the cases that you see deal with people that are blind or visually impaired, right? Because you think websites, who's gonna have trouble accessing them? It's people who are blind or visually impaired. Uh, other disabilities such as, um, people that are deaf or hearing impaired don't necessarily have the same, the same access problems because you can still read what's on the screen in most cases. Um, however, there, there was a case involving Netflix where Netflix did not provide closed captions to um, all their programming. Some of their programming had it, some of their programming didn't. Um, and so because they were providing a service um, and that service was not accessible for people who are hearing impaired because there were no closed captions for them. Um, courts ruled that, that Netflix was not providing equal access. Well, Mike, you know, I think a lot of people are sitting here thinking I'm a small private business. You know, is this even a factor for me? I mean, I'm not a school aid, you know, school or a government agency. Should I be worried? And is this a concern? So the short answer is yes. Um, I think you know, the landmark case that really set this all off, Blick, uh, dealt with a, a, a private business, right? They're selling art supplies. Um, and, and initially uh, that, that case said because there was a, a physical brick and mortar store and that the website was associated with that brick and mortar store, that that nexus uh, caused the website to be a place of public accommodation. Um, therefore, you know, the, the, the ADA applied. Um, however, that's been pretty, pretty well expanded over the, the past couple of years. So now, re really, any website that provides, um, that provides a service um, is mostly considered to be a place of public accommodation. And, and um, you know, getting into a little bit more detail there, the, the 
the way that the law works uh, in this state when you're talking about federal laws is usually you have we have different circuit courts of appeals. Uh, the country is divided in different regions and um, each circuit court has the ability to kind of rule on things on their own until the uh, Supreme Court steps in. So because the Supreme Court hasn't stepped in, we have a little bit of what we call a circuit split. Um, so courts in the first, second and seventh court of appeals have found that websites are places of public accommodation um, no matter what. Uh, courts in the 3rd, 9th, and 11th circuits have found that websites are uh, places of public accommodation if they have a nexus to a physical location. So, um, you know, for the businesses that are out there, figure out where you are. If you're in the 1st, 2nd, or 7th Court of Appeals uh, in the circuit there, um, then you are, your website is 100% uh, going to be scrutinized. If you're in the 3rd, 9th, or 11th, it's kind of up in the air. If you're in a circuit that I did not mention, we have a big old question mark. So where are those geographically roughly? Any idea? I mean, is it like California obviously is pretty liberal with this as we're seeing? Um, oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes to where they cover maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, if you have questions, I, I, if you Google circuit court map, um, it comes up, but you know, when you're talking ninth, that's, that's West coast, California is the big one over there in the ninth circuit. Um, uh, you know, third Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Um, so, and then, uh, 11th is, is Florida, uh, Georgia, Alabama, um, uh, or Mississippi actually, sorry, Mississippi. Um, so, you know, that's, those are the ones where there has to be a nexus to a physical site. Uh, the the first and second is New York and I guess North. So if you start in New York and you head North, that's going to cover the first and the second circuit. And the seventh is uh, here in the Midwest, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Let me ask you this. I mean, if I'm selling, I'm stationed here physically in Wisconsin and I'm selling to California, do I need to be worried? I mean, because somebody from California then could sue me theoretically. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of times terms of, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, you're the expert on this one, but uh, you'll see terms of service that say, um, you know, basically that you agree to bring any sort of lawsuit in the, this jurisdiction. Um, and so that may uh, have a factor, right? So if someone from California is suing a Wisconsin company, the Wisconsin company says by using this website, you agree to litigate anything in, um, you know, G, uh, uh, Rock County Circuit Court or, or, you know, the federal court, the, the Western District of Wisconsin or whatever it is, um, then they have to bring those, well, I shouldn't say they have to, but, um, you know, realistically a lawsuit would need to start in uh in that court which um plays in your favor i guess right and, you know i guess the other thing you know that we are doing with with mike's help for some of our clients right now is kind of and this hasn't been tested so we're not 100 percent sure this insulates us but we are developing statements like you know if you're having trouble accessing this site here's what you can do so we're trying to show steps of good faith you know to people with disabilities, you know, giving them alternatives and helping with some of the kind of the disclaimers that, you know, so that, you know, if we do end up in a court case, there's some, some um, 
some good faith steps there that, you know, hopefully will help influence our case a little bit. Mike, is that fair to say how we're kind of approaching some of this or we've talked about? Yeah, I think, I think you hit, you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head exactly. Right. So I, a statement on their website is not bulletproof by any means. You're, someone can still bring a lawsuit. The court may still rule against you, but uh, the hope is that it's a show of good faith. It shows that you're trying to uh, accomplish what the law is meant to accomplish, right? And um, the hope is there that even if the court rules against you, that any sort of damages judgment is is mitigated by uh that act of good faith and that you're, you're out there. You're not doing this. Um, you're, you're not out there saying, I don't really care, you know, about people that have disabilities and are, and are unable to access my website, right? You, you, you're trying to take proactive steps to make sure that it's, it's accommodating to everybody. So Mike, what happens if I get a letter in the mail that somebody's, you know, is it typically like a, a law, actual lawsuit or are they, are they threatening it? We're thinking of a specific client, they got a letter from, from a general or a law firm and that would claim to be representing a, a blind individual um, in California again, but they, they basically were threatening to sue. Um, you know, how do you respond to something like that? You know? Yeah, I would uh, get, I would get a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's difficult for me to say, go ahead and respond and, and apologize. You, know, you don't want to, as bad as this is going to sound, you don't want to apologize because then all of a sudden you're admitting guilt in an right. email. Um, you, you really got to watch what you say because, you know, as they say, anything you say can and will be used against you. And that's, you know, in civil law, it's even, it's even more so. Uh, the bar is, is lower. Um, so, you know, get a lawyer, um, review the facts, uh, do, a, do a wave analysis on your, on your site and see what's going on there and, and um, you know, work with an attorney to, to respond appropriately. Right. So it, it, you know, we definitely recommend if you're already in this case, fixing <laughs> the issues that are found, if there are issues, Mike mentioned a uh, wave, it's a plugin that you can use on Chrome. It'll identify a lot of the issues that are ADA. Um, there's also certain tests like WAG out there, you know, a company like Foremost can help you analyze and fix issues like this. So, you know, don't ignore it. Um, make steps of good faith to fix it while you're dealing with the attorney side of it, you know, is, is my advice as well in the cases I've seen. Um, so Mike, you know, what, in your research and experience, what kind of like damages are you seeing awarded and, you know, what are the typical settlements you're seeing? Are people, you know, settling these out of court? Are they taking them to court? You know, is there litigation out there now? That's, um, yeah. So, so most of this stuff is, is kind of two steps. These cases, the first step is determining whether the website was a place of public accommodation, um, in pretty much most instances, the answer is yes. When the answer is yes, then it, it's pretty much a losing battle after that. So, so I think a lot of these companies are settling out of court because you're not seeing a lot of the second step being litigated, right? So you're, you're cutting your losses, you're, you're settling out of court, and you're uh, um, fixing, fixing your website. So I, I, as to what these settlements are, it, it's really hard for me to say because that's usually a private matter. Um, even when you're talking about damages that are, that are awarded, uh, I haven't really seen a whole lot of that in, in the, uh, the cases that are out there because it, it's really not getting that far. Okay. 
So you talk about like public accommodation, you know, I mean, again, I'm thinking of a specific case here, but you know, what determines that? I mean, is there, you know, I mean, is it just the fact that we're inviting the public in or is there different, you know, I mean, is an e-commerce site different than a, uh, you know, just an informational site or, you know, if it's a strictly picture-based site, art site or something, is that different than a, you know, any other site out there? So that's kind of the, the million dollar question right now is, is what constitute, constitutes a public, uh, public place of public accommodation. Um, obviously when you're talking a physical location, that's real easy. If you're inviting the public to come in and, and you're providing some sort of goods or services at that location, then that's a, that's a place of public accommodation. Websites are a little bit more difficult to pinpoint. If you are um, selling you know, like, like Blick was doing, if you're selling something, you're providing a service. There was a, there was a case with five guys where the app, I think it was the app for five guys was uh, deemed to be inaccessible. And, and, you know, you're allowing, you're providing for online orders through your app, then, um, you know, that's a place of public accommodation. To answer your question about informational purposes, my, my opinion is uh, if you're only providing information on your website, you're not providing a service that couldn't, that you're not providing a service, right? You're just, you have pictures, maybe you're, you know, you have some prices out there, but someone, you have to call a number to place an order or go to a store to, to order something anyway. Um, my hunch is that's not going to be considered a place of accommodation because there's extra steps that are involved anyway, right? It's, it's, uh, it'd be no different than like an, sending out a newspaper ad. The newspaper ad isn't going to be a considered a public accommodation. It's just an, an, an advertisement, right? That's kind of what the web, what a website that's informational only is, is, is an advertisement. It's a marketing sure. tool. Sure. Makes sense. So Mike, you know, and this might be actually a better question for Evan. Once you get your site compliant, Evan, what are we doing with making sure it stays compliant? Is, it, is there a need or a case for that? Yeah, no, I think that that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I think even, even for Mike, right. Because a lot of it is, you know, you, you have it somewhat compliant, right. But we, I think anybody that does a lot with websites and web development knows that just because it's set up one way doesn't mean it stays that way. All right. So everybody going in there making changes, adding other pages to it. We see that a lot with, you know, the majority of the websites that, that we encounter. So how much of that actually stays compliant, you know, how much of that can be changed on a page to page sort of basis. Have you done too much into that, Mike? You know, I, 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 I can't say that I've looked into it too much or that I've actually come across it too much. Um, you know, when you're talking, I mean, some websites can have thousands of, of pages, right? I mean, you have the main landing page that you go to, but gosh, how many, how many sub pages are there that you can navigate to? Um, it, it, you know, and it's important really to make sure that every single one of those is, is compliant. Um, I will tell you that in my, in my research out there, um, there are, there are some free tools. Uh, WebAIM is a nonprofit organization based out of the, based out of Utah State University. Uh, that's kind of the, the Chrome extension that we mentioned earlier, but mm -hmm. um, they have a very simple tool that allows you to do uh, that wave analysis. There are other companies out there that claim to specialize in compliance. And, it, it, you know, again, I haven't done a whole lot of digging into it because I'm not a web developer, but um, these companies claim that 
they will using AI make sure that you're you're in compliance, that you stay in compliance, that any change uh, does not take you out of compliance, um, and they charge a fee for that. You know, and it, it can be pretty hefty depending on how many website, how many pages, sub pages you have uh, after your your main page. So, um, you know, just because your your title page is is compliant doesn't mean you know that a plaintiff isn't going to click a link and go to something that has low contrast and you know broken broken links um that are inaccessible to them yeah i can tell you you know what we're kind of recommending for our clients these days and is you know obviously fixing any compliance issues that we find and it's site-wide it's not just one page like mike said Mm -hmm. but then it's also you know things change on websites from time to time, you know, as updates and people put new content on. So, you know, at the very least, you know, maybe quarterly you should be scanning that site again and checking for compliance and the tools that to scan are not expensive, you know, so um, we offer service to do that as well. So. Um, and it's like we talked about before, right. You know, as long as you're showing good faith, you're mm-hmm. acting in good faith, right. So maybe you have something that breaks when you do an update and you catch it, like you said, quarterly, it, I can't see a court ruling against you if you're, you're trying to do the right thing. You mean there's some reason in these court cases? <laughs> you know, another yeah. question I had for you, it, it seems like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, there's some, some firms that are just specializing in this. They, they have a, a client that's ADA, you know, or disabled and they'll basically just file a bunch of lawsuits, you know, all over the place, you know, every site they come across. Is that really a trend? And is that something you know, that you're seeing more of, less of? Um, yeah, no, that, that's definitely a trend. Um, there was a, there was an attorney in Texas that filed like 350 suits. Um, and, uh, they got reprimanded a little bit for that, but, you know, I I had a buddy in law school that he used to drive around when he graduated and became an attorney, he used to drive around town and look for buildings that were non non ADA compliant and uh, basically send letters threatening to sue if they didn't add, st- add, add a ramp or whatever. And I think you're seeing the same thing with attorneys. I think you see attorneys that are just out there surfing the web. And if they find something, they've got somebody who will be a stand-in plaintiff for them. Gotcha. And when you say go out and find something, I mean, are there certain things short of running the entire wave analysis that people should be aware of that as they're going out, just looking at the website from an ADA so- compliance standpoint? So I think, I think, yes, I think it's really easy in, in one, in some aspects. Um, if you think about, you know, contrast as an issue for people who are visually impaired, right? If you have, um, and I'm thinking of our, your, your client here, if you have small bright lettering on a, on a lighter back background as well, um, that's going to create contrast issues that are going to be difficult to see. And so if you're just out there browsing the web and there's not a lot of contrast, I think that's going to be a red flag for someone who's looking for something. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, so we're a web development company, obviously when we started building websites, this really wasn't even an issue. Like, you know, ADA compliance is, never even heard of a lawsuit. Now, fast forward to some of these old sites out there, you know, how much liability, you know, because some of our audience, I believe is kind of in the web design side, some of them are, you know, end users, how much liability is, you know, the web development company and all of this, I mean, and versus the person that owns the website? So that's a great question. So far, all I've seen is 
litigation against the website owner. Uh, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been some sort of uh, subrogation provided by the the developer or that the, the owner hasn't gone back against the developer as well. I just haven't come across those. Uh, that said, um, I think that needs to be a contracting issue with the developers or, you know, I think that that should, that, that developers really need to throw that into their contracts. Um, you know, kind of a indemnification or a disclaimer that says, Hey, look, you know, we're developing this for you based on your specifications. Uh, you're taking on full responsibility for ADA compliance unless you hire us to do it. Um, because re realistically, once, as, as I'm sure as far as you guys know, you know, once that's out of your hands, they can make all sorts of changes that now take it out of compliance, right? Um, and, and so I, I think that needs to be addressed contractually. Um, to kind of protect the developers. And I can say if, if you're a web development company out there listening to this, Mike and his team have helped us a lot with, you know, our, our contract over the years. There's a lot more than just ADA compliance you should be addressing. It's been eye-opening for me to have you guys review our, our agreements and stuff. So it might be worth your time. And, you know, if you're buying a website, it might be worth having Mike and his team take a look at the, the contract with your web developer um, just to make sure you're covered as well. So... Um, so a few other questions. Actually, Mike, I'm going to throw an audible at you. I had our, our uh, team, I was telling them we were talking to you today, and, and they had a list too. Um, one of them wanted to know if there's like a definitive list of things that we could, you know, that you should fix. Gosh, I, I don't, my answer to that would be if you do, if you run a wave on your website, fix the errors, not necessarily the uh, alerts. Yeah, and what, what we said, too, is just, you know, there's WAG, WAG testing you can do, which yep. is kind of what a lot of the courts have, have done. So, you know, you definitely should, you know, hire somebody that knows what the heck they're doing to fix these issues because they're not typically simple issues. They're usually in the code. Um, right, exactly. So, yeah. um, another question was, you know, business type matter. I think we covered that already. Um, is there any legislation you know of out there or or, or pending cases that may go to the Supreme Court that might give some, you know, clarity to this issue and more definitive? Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you can speak to this. There's a lot of like uncertainty out there right now. Is there anything you know of that's out there to change that? There is a lot of uncertainty. And, and unfortunately, I'm going to say no. I haven't seen anything that's been certified to the Supreme Court. Um, and realistically, what we'd like to see as an, as an attorney, what I'd like to see is direction from the Department of Justice. And they have issued advisory opinions and then taken those back. They've retracted those advisory opinions. So there's really nothing out there to help help these people. So, so in the short term, best advice is? Do your best. Try and be compliant. <laughs> uh, you know, sure. stay on top of it, right? I mean, if it's, treat this like it's it's a broken link on your website that's causing you to lose income. Right. You know, you'd fix, you'd fix a link. If, if your buy it now button wasn't working, you'd get that fixed right away. This should be treated the same way. Excellent advice, Mike. Thank you again for your time today. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, and also, can you just give us your contact info one more time in case somebody sure. tuned in? Like yeah. One, one thing, you know, since this has been kind of doom and gloom, I, I want to add one little talk about one quick case uh, that's kind of a little bit more positive and, and on the business side of things. Uh, there was a case where uh, a plaintiff 
sued a bunch of credit unions in the state of Michigan. Um, and the, the plaintiff was not a member of those credit unions, nor was she able to become a member due to um, some interest cases with the Michigan law and, and how these credit unions are formed. And so um, the court said that merely browsing the web without more isn't enough. Uh, they didn't know what enough was in those cases, but there had to be some sort of nexus there. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like just anybody can click on your website. Um, there is some at least common sense out there. Well, so I think what I'm hearing you say is like, if, if you sell a really expensive piece of equipment, like a bulldozer or something, and, and that person that might be browsing the web is not ever going to buy a bulldozer, there may be some case that, that we're not discriminating against them. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Or if you are, uh, yeah, that, I, that's perfect. That's a perfect example. I think the challenge here is, you know, unfortunately you can sue anybody for anything. So, you know, you're still going to want to take your best effort and try and head off even a lawsuit about that bulldozer example, you know, right. not just rest on the fact that, Hey, you know, not a lot of buy blind or going to get people buy bulldozers. <laughs> is that right? I'm going to, I'm going to guess that, that foremost media is cheaper than an attorney. Uh, so it's probably, you know, they always say a, a, an ounce of prevention is better than a, a pound of the cure. Right. So, um, <laughs> I think that's, that's where it needs to be is, is get that prevention and prevention's cheaper than, than fixing an issue. So awesome. good tagline. Good advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Evan, anything else to add? No, this is great, Mike. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great information. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the foremost media marketing chat podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you can stay on top of your game by never missing an episode. You can find even more marketing insights and show transcripts at foremostmedia.com.